Blog Talk Radio. Collins played with the great Derek Ramsey. 
went on and played in the NFL to Atlanta Falcons, the LA Rams. Uh, had him on back in June. Uh, had a blast talking to him. It's going to be fun talking with him once again. Uh, talk about him being inducted to the Kentucky uh, Football Hall of Fame uh, as well as his NFL time as well. So it's a lot of fun stuff to talk about. And, you know, we're finally here. We made it to another summer. Uh, the Olympics helped out as far as through the month of August. And now Saturday, we can actually uh, see games that count. Actually, tomorrow, games count. We've been in South Carolina. Uh, Tennessee plays Appalachian State. Uh, and last week, we got a little mini-dose with California and Hawaii playing in Australia. But this coming weekend, we can just have football overload and feast on it from Saturday afternoon until Monday evening. And it's a long weekend. Yeah, the the big thing is for sports fans in general, this is uh, for college sports fans starting this weekend and now through the Final Four, we're not going to have a, a weekend free of college sports. So this is, uh, as you said, we're getting back into the swing of things uh, with college football kicking off. Uh, and then I think everybody here uh, in Big Blue Nation kind of pointing toward basketball season, but a lot of things. Uh, the, uh, soccer teams for UK both have kicked off their seasons, and uh, this is a fun part of the year. New seasons, new hopes. Everybody is starting off zero zero. So uh, you know, I'm pretty I'm pretty excited about that myself. Yeah, uh, men's soccer team I saw got a win over Duquesne, one to nothing. Uh, the one goal was a pretty spectacular goal, uh, kind of high degree of difficulty. But good to see Kentucky pull that win out. Uh, as far as letting things marinate, things that we would have talked about last week, uh, had it not been for the technical difficulty, Curtis and myself, one thing we would have talked about a lot would have been the 96 champ who, you know, took care of business when we were 18, 19 years old. The reunion took place. We would have talked about it last week. We got to talk about it now. Got to get your thoughts on it while you're on uh, before you hop off. Uh, so I have tons of pictures, uh, courtesy of Cameron Mills, tweeting them out uh, with all the fellows down there in Miami this past weekend. Well, uh, you know, I, I wrote about this uh, a little bit. You know, for those that don't know, I've, I've taken my talents over to, to Nation of Blue and. And Scott Anderson, we've had on this show uh, at his at his site. But uh, my thing is the '96 champs, best college basketball team I have seen. I'm getting close to 40. I've seen a few uh, go rounds, just top to bottom the best. I know uh, the two losses on the on the season, but still, collectively one of the best teams I've I've ever seen. Just how deep. Uh, as talented as they were defensively, it is just just a buzzsaw on offense. I've never seen that combination. Uh, they did not have a shot blocker, you know, that eliminated shots uh, like an Anthony Davis, but defensively by committee, one of the highlights, and I think Derek Anderson talked about it when he was on the show, was basically how they shut down Tim Duncan. Uh, how they took pride in the tournament of, of, of coming hard with the double teams and doing different things to shut him down. Defensively, that team 
was was just about without equal. Uh, again, for my money, just the the best team, the best twenty minutes of basketball I have ever seen play. And when I become old and gray, you know, like our fathers have, I will hearken back to this. Was that night at LSU? They scored eighty six points in the first half. I've never seen anything like it, and and I haven't seen anything that will come close to that. Uh, so that's that's about my feelings on the team. The reunion, uh, I believe they had everybody that was on the team got together for that reunion, uh, and that's a good thing. Uh, I would have liked to see a little celebration in Rupp Arena for the team. Uh, I think that was a missed opportunity, even though, yes, they got their rings a couple of years ago. Uh, but in our society, those those even uh, reunion years, your 10th, 20th, so on, you know, 25th, 30th, that kind of thing, those are those nice round ones that it's always good to celebrate. Uh, and while I understand what Mitch Barnhart is saying, there's a lot of great teams, you know, even non-championship teams in Kentucky history that would like – that you'd like to recognize. You could almost do it every home game of every season. It would almost be an anniversary or a reunion of some sort. Uh, you know, but my thing is in two years, well, next year for the 2017-2018 year, you've got the 20th reunion of the 98 team, the 40th reunion of the 78 team, the 58 team, and the 48 team. So there's a gamut of these things. So I understand what Mitch Barnhart is saying uh, to some extent for not having that celebration. But all that being said, this is the team. If you were going to go back from Adolph Rupp all the way to John Calipari, this is this is the Kentucky team. This is the best team, arguably, that the university has ever put together. There should have been something, some kind of acknowledgement from the university. Uh, but the pictures of those guys getting together, even with you know some folks, you know Rick Pitino's kind of persona non grata here in Big Blue Nation. But it was good to see those guys get back together and 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 really celebrate something that was special. Uh, not only was it one of the best teams Kentucky's ever had, or the best in my opinion. People forget it had been a long time, 18 years, between championships. When you look at what happened in Lexington between 78 and 96, of course you've got uh, Eddie Sutton and, and, and the program on death's door, you know, with the death penalty being talked about. This was, when you look at it in context, yes, it was a great team, and it would stand out no matter what. But look at where it, the program was when Patino took it over to what it was then. Wow. If you're going to have that championship team, this was the one to have it on. And they had had some upsets. They had, the program had – it was a slow build-up to that championship. Of course, everybody remembers the Duke game in 92. And Mashburn found out against uh, Michigan in the 93 Final Four and the uh, – the kind of uh, the disappointing loss to Marquette uh, in 1994, who strangely enough seems to have Kentucky's number in the tournament when you look at it, uh, Marquette does. But you look at that, and then 95 losing to uh, 
uh, North Carolina and the lead eight, uh, there was a lot of pressure on that team. Uh, this wasn't just a team that was a lot of people thought was going to be good. This team people assumed would be great. And a lot of times we see teams that go into the season with that kind of weight and they crumble. Uh, the 2012 team, I think we all thought would be good. But even after the Indiana loss, we said, these guys, this is a, this is a pretty good team. You know, we kind of thought it with 2015 as well. But that team with the seniors coming back, with Tony Delk coming back, with, with uh, Walter McCarty, all those guys, Antoine Walker, all these NBA caliber players coming back, I mean, the bullseye was on their back from the very beginning. Really hate to use the term good loss, but that early season loss to UMass, really, I think, uh, not only did it force Patino to, to bring Anthony Epps into the starting lineup and change that rotation, which was huge, but it kind of took that pressure off. Um, we, you know, we saw that in 2015. Sometimes that pressure comes up with you. If you're undefeated, all the way in, sometimes that pressure kind of comes up, uh, catches up with you. But I say all that to say this. It was a good thing to see all those guys back together. As you said, Vinny, this is – it depends on your age, which is your, you know, your favorite team. The young kids will point to 2012. and you know, our, our parents might point to earlier teams. But this is our team. This was my freshman year at Kentucky. This was, uh, this was the team of my youth. Uh, this was this was that team I was in awe of, and uh, for those guys to get together and really celebrate what they were able to accomplish is remarkable. Uh, I've said it before; I'll continue to say it. If you make your mark at the University of Kentucky in basketball, you have done something because of the teams and the coaches and the players that have come before and after. If you, if you can stand out. That's a remarkable feat in itself, and that 96 team uh, was able to do that. Yeah, and you mentioned a lot of different celebrations and a lot of different teams that can be recognized, and that is generational. We got the team of our youth that can be recognized, you know, 48 and 58 teams, uh, parents and grandparents, uh, primes can be recognized. Uh, you say not exaggerating that recognition should almost be given out for somebody at every home game. And that wouldn't, you know, if, you know, so that's something might say, oh, you, you know, if you have it all the time, then it's going to water things down and it won't be as special. It's just going to, you know, um, enhance and, and, and entrenched in everybody's mind the tradition of Kentucky. It's just going to deepen the education for some of these young kids that don't even know about the 78 team. And, you know, and that was the team of our birth. Um, and then on back to the 40s and 50s, it's going to, you know, wow, I didn't know we even did this and that and the other. You know, it's going to keep it fresh in everybody's mind and, and fans will just continue to learn the history and grow up learning it, you know, and instead of just kind of and, shoving it aside and sweeping it under the rug, it'll keep it to the forefront 
and and keep it prominent. And 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 everybody has done important things, and all of them deserve the recognition. So it wouldn't it wouldn't be a bad thing, even if it was ceremonies every other day. And, and and I'm okay with that because I think sometimes what happens, uh, and I hate to say this, we become oblivious to the championship banners. You know, I think it's only uh, Kentucky and I think North Carolina, it's Final Four or better are the banners that go up. There's no that the standard is there's no recognition of. That you know, so for for good or for bad, that's the standard. You've got to have at least a Final Four or better for that team recognition. So we look over all those banners, and especially the ones that came before, you know, before us, before whoever's looking at them. You kind of okay, yeah. Like I, I don't know that there's a Kentucky fan that can't rattle off all eight title years. I think we can all do that. That, but yeah. there's a difference between knowing it and and seeing. Because there's still players alive, you know, that played on those teams, that played for Rupp. And I think that's key to really bridging the gap. And, and Cal has done a good job of bringing some of those older players back into the fold and saying, hey, 1948, it's more than just a banner in the rafters. You know, there's a story to be told there. And I think it does a good job, number one, to recognize the history. But number two, to remind these players, and, you know, I'm not going to get into the one-and-done debate, you know, hey, you're 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 a part of something here. Even if you're here a year, you're a part of something. When you and I or whoever, when we sit down and we talk about Kentucky basketball, I'm going to talk about Dan Issel, and I'm going to talk about Anthony Davis. I'm going to talk about Kyle Macy, and I'm going to talk about Carl Anthony Towns. That's it, and that's really what makes Kentucky special. And I'm going off on a tangent, but I think we got a little bit of time here. When these other outside sources, ESPN, Sporting News, Sports Illustrated, when they rank uh, college basketball programs, uh, the number one, that criteria kind of changes to keep Kentucky from being number one. But when you look at what Kentucky basketball is, every decade since the 1930s, the University of Kentucky's men's basketball program has been in the top ten in wins in every decade. No other school has done that. You know, UCLA had a run. Duke has been good here fairly recently, UConn fairly recently. But nobody has that consistency. And even when we weren't winning championships, there were those championship droughts, very, very good players, very, very good teams represented the program. And there's not too many programs that can do that. You know, we talk about the Billy G years. Well, okay, by Kentucky standards, they were pretty bad. And even the latter tubby years, you can say, weren't quite Kentucky standards. But still, 90% of college basketball would love a 20-10 and 10 record in a conference championship, <laughs> which, you know, what yeah. Tubby was doing. And from my mind, that's what makes Kentucky basketball the best. Al McGuire said it. You know, they were good before you. They're good right now. They'll be good after you're gone. That is Kentucky basketball. There, there, there hasn't been a drop off. You know, you're black. I'm black. You hear people talk about, oh, you know, Kentucky won before black players could play. You know, Kentucky has won no matter what the situation is. 
whether it was before blacks could play, before the three-point line, with the three-point line. When guys stayed three or four years, they won. With the one and done, they've won. No matter what the college basketball landscape is, the one thing you can count on is Kentucky is going to be at or right near the top. That's what happens. That's, and that, to me, that consistency is what separates Kentucky basketball from everything else. From every, you know, that's, yeah. that's where I come from with that. And, uh, again, I say all that just to say the 96 team, they deserve that recognition on, on, in my mind, and, and, again, I'm going on my almost 40 years, of being the absolute best team uh, that Kentucky has ever put out there. Um, I, I think if, if 2015 would have gone 40-0, and 0, maybe you put them in that conversation. But still, a head-to-head matchup, I don't think any team is quite as deep as that 96 team was. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's a shame that the color barrier was what it was. Uh, you mentioned that Kentucky has won consistently in various different eras. And for those who do want to, to try to take shots or troll or knock and say, well, those in the 40s and 50s don't count or anything of that nature, uh, you know, you only got four and counting in more of the modern era. Well, whatever school that they're a fan of, had their school won in 48, 49, 51, and 58, they would claim them and they would be proud of them. Their school didn't win. Uh, the tournament was played and Kentucky won. Any other fan of any other school would gladly take those four. So it it, it just doesn't make sense when fans of opposing schools want to try to detract from those four from uh, Adolph Rupp's era. And my response is, did Kentucky play themselves? Was Kentucky the only team invited? No. And I I looked. I took time and I did this. Every single team that has an NCAA title going all the way back to Oregon in 1939 has that banner hanging up. University of San Francisco went back-to-back in the 50s with, with Bill Russell, Casey Jones. Those banners are up. Every team that has won from 1939 forward recognizes those championships. Indiana has titles from the 50s. My whole thing is when you look at UCLA and their run, it started in the 60s. Those banners are now 50-plus years old. You know, my thing is, okay, when is the cutoff? When do we say, okay, these are more than 50 years old so they don't count? No, that's not the way that works. And it would be different if we only had the four for Adolph Rupp. It would be different. But like I said, no matter what the college basketball landscape looks like, whatever rules we're playing by, Kentucky is going to be there. Period. Period. We don't go. And and we rarely, if you look at history – I know we had some Final Four drought, but even when you look at Tubby's 03, 04, 05 teams, teams going into the tournament, number one overall seed, Kentucky's always has something to say with, with the, 
with the college basketball season. That's just the way it works. Um, so this this notion that you know Kentucky benefited from this, that, and the other, I don't I don't subscribe to that. Uh, I think it is good. Uh, like I said, the '96 team get recognized. I'm personally excited in a couple of years for the '98 team to get recognized because that was one of those unexpected championships that I think still kind of is in the '96 shadow. I'm looking forward to celebrating that 20th anniversary here in a couple of years. That's a that's a big that's a big one uh, to me. It was one Absolutely. of those times where. It's, it, it's kind of rare for Kentucky to kind of be in an underdog role, and I like that. Some of my best tournament memories, especially recently, have, ble- have been when Kentucky's in the blue jerseys and we're underdogs. 2011, knocking off Ohio State, knocking off uh, North Carolina on the way to the, te- uh, to the Final Four. And, of course, 2014, uh, and then you look at, of course, in 98 uh, with Cameron, uh, you know, good friend of the show, Cameron Mills, and, and uh, Scott Padgett exercising those Duke demons. Um, I think the 98 team should get more pub than they do. We get caught up in this back and forth. Was it Tubby's coaching, Patino's players? Look, they won a championship. Those things are hard to get. I'm glad they won it. <laughs> when you look at the odds that they fought in 98 to get to that point, I think that team needs to be heralded a little bit more. Hopefully, in a couple of years, they'll get their due. And that's the beauty of Kentucky. You know, you can have an argument, okay, which one of the eight championship teams <laughs> is your favorite? And then you can say, okay, which one of the teams that didn't win is your favorite? I personally think the 97 team was a real good team. They lost a championship in overtime, which is pretty close that you can get without yeah. winning. So yeah. that is what, that's the richness of Kentucky basketball. You can have these debates, and I bet there's some people out there in their 70s and 80s that will tell you that the 58 team or even – uh, uh, those uh, Dan Issel teams could whoop some of the teams of today. I mean, that, but that's a debate you can actually have. You know, it's which championship team is your favorite? That's that's what we do at Kentucky, and and that's a discussion that not a lot of programs uh, can have. Definitely, definitely, sure. Uh, so yeah, um, and speaking back to '96. Congratulate them. It was it was great seeing all the pictures. Uh, you and I have been able to meet some of the cats recently um, with Cameron Smith Radio having uh, tour stops. Uh, you were at Bluegrass RV in Lexington. Uh, they came to my neck of the woods in the Harlem. Sam, NBS, and DA. Uh, DA looks like he could still walk out of the court and get budgets. Oh. And so did Ron Mercer. That's one who I read in pictures of in a while, but he still looks in to be in very good shape as well. Uh, like he could go out there and, and hold his own if he wanted to just play some ball his own stuff. He was in great shape too. Yeah, yeah. Ron Mercer, he, he kind of goes on my Keith Bogan's overlooked stars. His, his 97 team 
And I think that team, you know, getting sandwiched in between two championship teams, and we all think about Derek Anderson's knee injury and what could have, should have, would have been. But Ron Mercer's 97th season? I mean, I'm going to put top 11, top 15 uh, of, of individual seasons in Kentucky history. It was phenomenal what he did, especially after D.A. went out. <laughs> That's a phenomenal season. Uh, so uh, I think he should get a little bit more, but that's that's I I do need to actually I, I talk about this all the time, and and people have said you need to actually write out your underrated Kentucky players, <laughs> your your Keith Bogans All Stars, uh, and give those guys some some love. So I'm going to do that in time for basketball season. Absolutely, absolutely. So it's, it's always uh, fun to go back and. See how things measure up and compare and contrast and and all that um, uh, as we wait for uh, Max Gobby to call in. So yeah, we definitely we had to just acknowledge the '96 team. Um, getting together in Miami, we do wish it had been uh, something more extensive in Rupp Arena. But congratulations to them for having a fun, well-deserved uh, reunion weekend on the big yacht, on the golf course, getting together and re-watching the game, uh, the championship game against Syracuse. So they had a good, fun time, uh, and they deserve it. They absolutely did. Um, let's see. What else do we want to get to before Max called in? Uh, we're talking tons of football uh, when he gets here. And just on that generational thing, you know, you and I both pick Texas 7 and 5. My dad is not as optimistic, and I think it's generational. You and I have seen more than our fair share of gut punches for Kentucky football, but dad has seen more. (laughs) He's pretty show-me mode, but he's even on another level of show-me mode. Uh, he's seen he's seen the great as well. I mean, the '77 team that went 10 and one with Derek Ramsey and those guys saw that team. But he also saw a lot more disheartment, disappointment, uh, you know, frustrating games as well. So he's he's even more in the show me camp than we are at seven and five. So I just had to throw that out there uh, before Max called in as well. And I, I got to put to the NBA really, really quick. Uh, a couple of things I would have mentioned last week. One is, you know, we talked about Derek Fisher. He thought he was coming back for a minute. Looks like he's not going to. Kwame Brown is attempting a comeback. Uh, you know about Kwame. He's been playing a little bit for your Lakers. Uh, he bounced around for several different teams. I just, the statement that Interperformance, the agency he signed with, released when announcing that he wanted to come back. I, I mean, I know you got to sell your client, you got to accentuate the positives, but they they wrote they're proud to announce that NBA star. <laughs> that's the first thing that makes me stop. NBA star Kwame Brown <laughs> decided to sign with their agency. 
the number one overall pick is ready for a new life. He's come back and be the road to glory for a team that believes in him. Kwame is back, physically healthy and ready to be the outstanding player he was on several NBA teams. A great intimidator that can block shots, rebound consistently, and explode in devastating dunks. No longer the young man that entered the NBA, Kwame is now an experienced mature player and man, and he's back for the love of the game. TB, I could not read that with a straight face. This, that's, you know, that's not the first time I read it, but I, I mean, I know you gotta sell your guy and, and market, but we all saw Kwame Brown, and his career was a little bit bumpy, and we know his time with the Wizards and being drafted number one overall and all that. But I, I just had to throw that out there. You know, I just had to get your thoughts because I was like, wow. Well, the, the the thing is, uh, as something my dad would say is, come back to what? What is what 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 is he coming back to? What are we <laughs> see? And, and I think that he's the poster child for why the NBA has the one and done rule. Uh, I think that being uh, around Michael Jordan uh, just ruined Kwame Brown. Uh, we all know the stories of how brutal George could be to veteran teammates, you know, even going as far as punching Steve Kerr in the face. I, I just think that that was just too devastating for Kwame Brown. And then to end up on the Lakers with Michael Jordan light and Kobe and, and the way he treated teammates, I just don't think <laughs> it was the best thing for him, uh, for his confidence. And, uh, I wish him the best, but yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not expecting anything. I'm not expecting much. Uh, I toyed with the idea of getting a Kwame Brown jersey at one point in time, Ooh. but I said, let me see how. Yeah, let me see how this goes before <laughs> I invest in that. You know, let me put the brakes on this and just see how see how this goes. Um, um, I'm glad I did, uh, but uh, you know I, I wish him the best. And, and uh, like Tim Tebow going out for baseball, you wish him the best. I, I don't think that uh, there'll be a whole lot of success there for him. But I'm not gonna crap on anybody for chasing their dreams. And you're right, right. the yeah. PR firms, the PR firms are going to they're gonna hype their folks up. But you know we we all saw what happened. The, the, at some point, you just need to say, okay, yeah, he's coming back. There's no reason to, reason to rewrite history at this point. Exactly. And like I said, you know, the person that typed it, you know, maybe they were too young to, you know, see Kwame's career. Maybe, you know, their boss just said, here, type this up and put it on the site. Uh, and then the editor, maybe the editor was too young as well. But <laughs> when they said, okay, yeah, sounds good. This is accurate. Go ahead and roll with it. So I was like, man, really? Um, you mentioned jerseys, which is a perfect little segue, uh, because I know you are a jersey connoisseur. We have talked jerseys before. We have talked hats before. You know, some of those sports but not sports topics that we get into, kind of offshoot topics, jerseys, hats, music, we all kind of ventured into that on various different shows, had musical guests on on various different occasions. 
One thing we hadn't really, really delved into was sneakers or that shoe game. I know you're a sock guy. We talked about that. We hadn't really, really talked shoes. And, look, I'm the biggest Shoots and Rockets fan that you really see that's so far away from Houston or, you know, not anywhere in Texas or anything like that. But despite all that, what was my dude James Harden thinking when he released his signature Adidas that looks absolutely horrible? Everybody made fun of Steph Curry a couple months ago, those Under Armors that he had. These things Harden come out with, I mean, I don't know if you saw my tweet. They, they just, everybody's talking about work boots, you know, uh, look like janitor's shoes, look like you're going to go wait tables somewhere. Things look like the shoes I mold my yard in. I don't, I've never seen, I mean, it was ridiculous how horrid those things are. Well, when it comes to the shoe game, you know, it's basically, and this is this is me. I'm a I'm a Nike guy, so take this for what it's worth. It's Nike, and and really everybody else. And when you look at who who Nike has had on their roster, yeah, they've lost a few guys, and some guys have gone their own separate ways and whatnot. But Jordan, LeBron, Kobe, KD, AD. Uh, so they're getting the big names, and the the Nike shoes. You know what you're going to get. Uh, there's not going to be a lot of what? What is that? You don't get that a lot with with Nike, and you, you see that with uh, Adidas and some of their uniform choices for their college teams. There are a lot of head scratchers. Uh, you don't typically get that with Nike. You know, there's been some, you know, Kentucky jerseys. I've kind of said, okay, that's too much, but for the most part, they've stayed pretty. Uh, consistent, uh, but yeah, these signature shoes. This is not what you want in today's day and age. Yeah, and you know, James Harden is, is a quirky dude. He's a quirky dude, and I mean, this shoe isn't even quirky though. It's just god awful. And you know, my Rockets fandom is not going to prevent me from saying they're god awful. So I just had to, you know, we would have talked about that last week. Had to make sure we mentioned this week. Uh, speaking of this week, too, we will now bring on our first guest who is set to join us to talk uh, some Kentucky football. He was an offensive lineman for the Cats, knows game inside and out, just launched a podcast, BBN Chalk Talk. We are talking about our good friend, Mr. Max Gopi. Thanks for joining us on Cats Talk Wednesday tonight, Max. You're on with Benny Hardy and Terry Brown. How are you, sir? I am doing great, guys. Thank you all so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, and I know you, as a former player, are you even more excited than us fans that is actually game week. This weekend will be feasting on games the weight is over. Actually, starting tomorrow, but Saturday when it really, really jumps off. You got to be more excited than even us. You, you know, you just have flashbacks. You know, I, I sit, at, uh, sit at my desk in my office, and all I can think about is, man, a few years ago I was out prepping for uh, 
prepping for my first game week. You're thinking about the the long grind of camp. You're thinking about uh, you're thinking about all this anticipation all coming into this week, and then being able to stay in the hotel, getting those last minute preparations in, and then about ready to walk through the catwalk, dude. I have been jittery and having goosebumps this entire week just thinking about it. Now, I'm just going to cut right to the chase because I know this is near and dear to your heart. You are more passionate about this aspect of Kentucky football than anything else. You're former O-lineman. So I want to just start off by asking you about this punter and kicker debate because I know that's what concerns you the most. That's what you think about the most. <laughs> really? Really? So this, this is what we're going to bring up. You're going to bring up the offensive linemen. And after what we just talked about on BBN Chalk Talk, we bring up the whole punter thing. <laughs> I had a feeling Unreal, I might be real, guys. <laughs> Man, you know. Look. <laughs> well, I mean, a, a dual punter system may not be bad, but honestly, a, a special teams coordinator is going to know hey, if they're on the forty or fifty, they're going to try to pin you deep. And if you're on, if you're on your own five, and you're trying to punt, you're going to try to get it as far away as possible. So there's really not that much extra strategy on there. I would like to see one kicker, but. You know, that's why I don't get paid uh, six figures to be a special teams coordinator. I listened to the podcast the other night, and I, I heard yourself, uh, Matt Smith and Greg Lyle, which is awesome that it's just three linemen doing a podcast anyway. So that perspective <laughs> is kind of unprecedented. But y'all had a little tangent about the punters and the kickers. Uh, I think you were leading the charge on it and, and, you know, not even want to talk about it. So I knew I had to just kind of poke at you and lead with the punter and kicker situation, McGinnis, McGinnis, and all that. (laughs) Well, I'll I'll say this in defense to all specialists, kickers, punters, long snappers, every U.K. long snapper, every U.K. kicker and punter knows I absolutely love them. But I always told them during camp, because kickers and punters, the specialists don't do anything during camp. They just don't. They, they go out, they'll kick, and then they'll go play pool, play video games, eat food while the rest of us are grinding through camp. So always at the beginning of camp, I always go up and I shake each one of their hands, and especially to Kelly Mason, who just got married uh, last weekend. I was at his wedding. We actually talked about uh, the grind of camp or for him, camp vacation for him, but we were talking, and every single time I'd shake their hand, i go, Guys, I'll talk to you all after uh, camp is over. Right now, all of you all are dead to me, and I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> so there, there was always that – because you're, you're sitting in meetings, and you're going to a meeting until 1030, and so you're ta- taking a restroom break around 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, and you see all the specialists in there having a pool party in the hot tub. And it's, I think it's more just out of jealousy. There's just jealousy and bitterness seeing the kickers having fun during camp while you're doing that grind. Yeah, I can I can see how that would wouldn't fit too well <laughs> with guys like yourself for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so is is that the well, special teams question? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I was. <laughs> yeah, that's the first and last 
of this segment for sure. Um, <laughs> so we got Southern Miss coming into town. Um, you talked about how you, you're chomping at the bit even at work, you know, flashing back to what the preparations and the details and all that. Um, these guys come in with an undersized defensive line. Like the biggest guys on their roster is like 295. As an offensive lineman, are the smaller, quicker guys, you know, ones you like where you can lean on them or would you rather them be a little bit bigger and less mobile? Or do you have a preference at all as far as the different types of D-lines you have to face? Well, it's not as much of you having a preference of who you're going up against. It's more on it's more on the understanding of knowing the style of player that you're going against and adapting your game to it. So if you all uh, remember a few years ago, there was a guy on the team named Tristan Johnson who we call T-Knock. And T-Knock was a, no, a true nose guard that weighed about 255, 260 pounds. He was a lightweight nose guard but he was so quick off the ball. Then you had a guy like Mr. Cobble who weighed about 335. So it's not as there's a benefit and there's um, there's a benefit and there's a con going against both of them. It's being able to adapt your game to knowing, all right, when so-and-so's in the game, if I've got a 275 pound, 290 pound defensive lineman on me, more on the lighter side, I'm going to focus more on technique and make sure not to uh, bend my head forward or bend my waist. That way he can't make a spin move or do some sort of speed move on me. If it's one of the bigger guys, I'm thinking more, I need to have a good base on my feet. I need to make sure that I'm taking short, choppy steps because I do not want to get my foot caught off, uh, caught in the air if he gets into a bull rush or he gets into a penetration on uh, any sort of run play. So it's more just learning how the players play. The, it, and then it's also just being, um, it's being on the same page with your offensive line as well, knowing that, hey, this nose guard is going to be a very good player and we don't want to leave our center on an island with them. Then it's uh, getting a guard that's coming in, be able to give him a rib shot or coming in and giving him an extra hit just trying to wear him down throughout the game. So it's not as really having a preference uh, who you play against. It's more of just having a preparation and knowing, uh, knowing the situation of the game as well. So former UK alignment, Matt Gobby, go ahead, TV. You didn't mean to cut you off, man. No, I said that's a great perspective to have because I think most football fans, we look, obviously, the quarterbacks, receivers, that kind of thing. But the people that know football will tell you it's, it's one up front. And what I find fascinating is, you know, we, we talk about how cerebral a quarterback is and, and running backs that see things. But the offensive line, you've got that, like you're saying, Max, you've got to do your homework and be prepared, too. You've got to recognize what's going on right in front of you. And I think that's a lot of things that most people don't think about that, you know, play in, play out, you guys up front have to do your job or nothing gets done. That's absolutely true. And it's what, I'm, uh, it's what I try to tell people that are trying to learn more in depth of the game is 
the game truly opens up when you decide not to follow the ball and you watch the offensive line and watch how the center communicates. And I talk about goosebumps. I'm starting to get goosebumps right now. There's nothing better in the game of football when you have the five offensive line playing well together and they're cohesive. They're on the same uh, They're on the same page with one another. There's communication. It's one of my favorite things to watch during a game is seeing that they're all giving the same signal that they're even able to turn around and correct the quarterback saying, no, you need to be uh, going this side because there's going to be a corner blitz. I've got a, um, I have a girlfriend who is learning football right now. She, she's never really had any interest of it, but she knows how important it is in my life. And that's when I believe you are, in a really good relationship when you start picking up the interests of others, especially if it's football and you're having to learn the sport. And that's something that I've been teaching her is just watching the five guys up front and seeing how much that, uh, the run, uh, the run game opens up being able to see on an inside zone. And one of the best teams to watch for that was Alabama because you can always know when Derrick Henry or uh, Trent Richardson, Eddie Lacy, you always knew when it was going to be a big play, not from watching him bust through the center of, uh, bust through the offensive line, but watching the center and guard and their combination. And all of a sudden you see that cut lane and you're able to, uh, you're able to see it. And you're like, he's gone at that point. It's just amazing to see how much the game opens up when you watch the interior, uh, especially interior line play and then watching the tackles on the edges and the communication that goes with it. Uh, that was I, I was one of, oh, go ahead, Vinny. I'm sorry. That was, that was just going to kind of lead me into the one, one question because we always hear, you know, casual fans, hardcore fans, the center makes all the calls. He's the quarterback of the offensive line. What is the most common call when you're a guard lined up next to center that you hear the center make? And what is a call that you'll kind of be like, whoa, haven't haven't heard that call uh, made on a regular basis? I know a, a lot of sliding protection and things of that nature, but what are the more common calls uh, that happen a lot in the game and then the more uh, less common calls that, that don't happen as often, depending on what formation you're uh, about to block? Uh, well, for when it comes to the run game, as a as a guard, your most common, if you're a, uh, in, it depends. Again, everything is based on what the uh, defense presents. So let's say you've got a four three defense, meaning that you, or a four two defense. We'll make it simple, um, meaning four down defensive linemen and then two linebackers, a Mike and a Sam, which is the middle linebacker and the strong linebacker, and. From that position, the center is going to look and see, okay, do I have a defensive lineman that's lined up on me? If he has a defensive lineman lined up on him or on the guard, if, if there's a defensive lineman between the guard and the center on the play side, usually that center is going to make some sort of combination call to the play side linebacker, which would be the Mike linebacker. That's usually the call that you're going to have. So that changes up the footsteps, uh, the footwork of the guard. Now the guard's going to have to work back 
on a guard, and you're going to get hips together, work each other up to the Mike, uh, Mike linebacker. Things change, though, when you have a nose guard, meaning there's a player right heads up on the center on his nose, which uh, nose guard comes from. Odds are the center is going to make a combination call to the backside, um, to the backside guard. So they will work together to the play side, um, uh, play side um, linebacker. Now everything changes though. See, on paper you're able to when you're sitting in the meetings, when you're uh, going through the final test that you have to take before the game, and you're uh, writing up all these plays and taking the squiggly lines and putting them all together. It's easy then, but when you get out on the field, mm-hmm. it gets a whole lot harder. Because then they can start just throwing stuff at you. They'll just throw a wrench in the engine like no other all of a sudden. Um, I know for uh, in history, uh, in the past, we, uh, we were playing Louisville back in 2012. And, and they did the same thing in 2013. Charlie Strong has had a, um, a horrendous history of being that defensive coordinator that will throw anything and everything at you to see what hits. And it's borderline no rhyme or reason to a offensive lineman of how the blitz are being called. But that's what made Charlie Strong so successful as a defensive coordinator and so successful at Louisville was his defensive schemes. So you would be expecting a three-down defense all of a sudden, you walk up to the line, and there's only one defensive lineman, and the rest are linebackers, and everyone's constantly moving around. So when you're a center, you've got to make a call, so a full zone call or a slide protection call where you're just responsible for a gap. And when you get in those situations, at that point, you've got to trust in either the center or the center's got to trust, uh, trust the tackle because our tackles – are the ones that they're, if they could see an outside pressure, if they see that the cornerback is making a, um, if the cornerback is making any sort of hesitation or he sees that his feet aren't boxed, there's so many different signals uh, that a cornerback can give away that he's going to blitz or a strong safety is going to blitz. He's got to mm-hmm. trust that tackle and then you'll go into a full side protection. So it's not as much, it's not as much of saying, hey, what's this center doing? Did he get, hit too hard the last play it's more of being able to work with each other and able to see the whole game open up with yourselves and trying to pick up some sort of pattern to what a defense does right right go ahead tv i'll cut you off man no i i think it's great to get a uh, an offensive lineman point of view on this kind of thing uh i used to read uh Tuesday morning quarterback on ESPN.com by Greg Easterbrook. And his whole thing was, you know, your quarterbacks and receivers, those guys get the glory, but it's the offensive linemen. And the way he kind of tells novices to look is when a play is over, does every offensive lineman, is he accounting for a defender or is he just standing in space? And he said the best offensive linemen have they, every play, all five guys are making contact with somebody on the defense. And that's how, uh, that's how teams are successful, when they can make those adjustments like you're talking about, Max, make those adjustments on the fly 
And and, and Vinny, being a, a Cowboys fan, you know those great offensive lines they had in the 90s where, I mean, some of those holes for Emmitt Smith, you and I could run through. Uh, and uh, when you watch a team like that, you know, as a 49ers fan, I didn't like it, <laughs> you know, because you're like, yeah. man, they are in a rhythm, and it doesn't matter what the defense is doing. These guys just know where they're going. And, uh, Max, now playing with the same five guys over and over again, do you just kind of – you know what checks are coming. You know, okay, this guy to my left is going to do this, this guy to my right. You kind of get that feel, right? Oh, gosh, yeah. When you when you play with the same group of guys, and this is um, – it doesn't matter what school you go to. It doesn't matter uh, if it's NFL, college, high school. Offensive linemen are all the same. We are – we are extremely intelligent, but we are very weird also because we will only we usually only hang around with other offensive linemen, and it is actually really funny because you'll see you know some of the skill positions they'll all hang out with each other and all that. The offensive linemen that is a tight click right there, and it's real hard to get into that club, especially if you're one of the skinny guys. <laughs> you 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 got you got to have some girth in you. You got you got to have that uh, you got to have that power gut in order to get into that club. <laughs> but when you play with a group of guys for that long and you're entrusting so much, uh, there's so much trust that's put into place when it's being an offensive lineman, trusting that your center is going to put you in the right um, uh, in the right blocking situation. Uh, your tackle not going to screw you over on a uh, on a corner blitz. It's trusting that on a combination block that your tackle is going to give you enough uh, enough help to be able to get off. That way you're able to get off to a linebacker. But then also if a defensive lineman or a linebacker is messing with you, it's knowing that you got four guys that are about ready to jump that one player. And as bad as that sounds, it, I don't want if someone's taking a swing at me. I want to make sure that I got one of my buddies right behind me who's going to come up and uh, and have my back. And one guy that always had uh, had your back was uh, Zach West. Anything, every single time I got in some sort of scuffle, it was always Zach West running up, and Zach West would get right in the middle of it. Zach West would just say some crazy things that only offensive linemen would say. Or if I'm if I we're hitting a little bit after the whistle, Zach West came in and gave another pop also. But it was always if I was about ready to get into get in some heat, I always knew he had my back. And then another guy was also Larry Warford. Larry watched out for all his offensive linemen, all his guys. And if you ever talk to Matt Smith, who's uh, my co-host with uh, Coach Lyle on BB and Chalk Talk. He will say the exact same thing. Larry watches out for uh, other offensive linemen. Larry will deliver a nasty hit to whoever starts screwing with one of his guys. So I think it's more it's, there's just such a cohesion and then there's just such a brotherhood with, uh, with that group. Talking with former U.K. offensive lineman Max Godby, uh, host of the BBN Talk Talk podcast. We had the first episode. Uh, just launched the first one. Uh, definitely going to ask you about that as well as your co-host, too, before uh, we let you go. Oh, and when it comes to you 
UK's O-line this year, how do you see it coming together as far as the depth chart, the, the camaraderie, everybody having each other's back, the chemistry? Uh, do you kind of have a feel for that already, even though they have yet to play a game? Well, with this offensive line, this is a veteran offensive line. You're only missing two seniors from this offensive line in Zach West and Jordan Swindle. And that's a good thing of what John Schlorman's been trying to build for now four years. He tried to build to the point of having ten guys that are able to rotate constantly. When Stoops, uh, when Stoops and company first got here, their only offensive lineman they were able to rotate was me a former walk-on that had zero stars out of Louisville, Kentucky. Now you've got five, you've got a total of 10 offensive linemen that are not able to contribute, but they can actually start games and play extremely well, especially with the likes of Georgia Sopo Adagi, who started as a true freshman, which is unheard of in the SEC to have an offensive lineman not get redshirted. You see it a little bit more often now, just with the style uh, of offenses that uh, a lot of teams are going to, more zone it, and all that. But those guys have played with each other for so long. I mean, this will be this will be Ramsey Myers' third year starting. This will be Nick Haynes' second year starting. Kyle Meadows mm-hmm. has played uh, consistently now for two uh, – for, this will be his third year playing consistency. Cole Mosier has played every single position with the exception of center. I mean, this is a, uh, this is a very veteran, very seasoned offensive line. And then you can't forget who's at center at John Toth. And John Toth next year will be playing on Sundays and making a lot of money. But a lot of things that jo- people don't know about John Toth is he's extremely smart also. Playing football, being a center, being this good – but also working on a mechanical engineering degree as well. I mean, the kid yeah. is smart, and that's dangerous when you've got a mean streak about you, but you're smart as well. That makes for a very, very good offensive, line, uh, offensive lineman. And for me, it gives me goosebumps watching uh, John Toth uh, coordinate and pretty much orchestrate an offensive line. So I am, as you can tell by my voice, I'm extremely excited to watch this offensive line play because I think this is going to be a breakout year for them. That is definitely good news. Um, you talked about, you know, and Terry, you mentioned it too, uh, with those Cowboys offensive line, any offensive line that's clicking and it, it's like the defense has no answer. Uh, it's like the offensive line is two steps ahead. They know what's coming. doesn't matter from where it's coming from. The offensive line is already a couple steps ahead. Now, when you're facing a defensive line that's clicking, uh, you know, say on the road at Florida or Alabama or you know somewhere like that, where they've got a good front seven that's capable of dominating and kind of shutting everything down, and they're you know they're getting three and outs, they're stuffing the run, the quarterback's running for his life. Is is this this veteran group you're talking about? Are they ready for that this year? I know you've been in games where it's like they're, you know, the, the defensive line smells blood. This group going into this season, if they're in that situation, are they able to, to handle it? And everybody kind of equipped to handle it? Been through it before? Everybody can settle each other down and kind of stymie what they're facing. 
I don't even know if that even makes sense, but I, I know I just rambled. No, you know, no, no, that that makes sense. Um, in situations like that, also, it doesn't always fall on the offensive line as well. And usually, it, and, and as an offensive lineman, you just learn to take the criticism. Just because the quarterback gets sacked five times, people just make the assumption that you're trash or that the running back isn't gaining any yards and has one yard, uh, one yard, uh, a one-yard average so far. They but it could be a multitude of different things. Um, it could be that the running back is undisciplined, and when he's told on an inside zone play, he only has one cut between the front side A-gap uh, a and the backside uh, A-gap, but he decides he's going to cut twice and try to bounce it outside. Mm. That's no bueno. Um, and pass protection. It could be a five-man protection, which means it's just the offensive line blocking. You don't have a running back in or the running back's about ready to run a route, and that tells the quarterback that he needs to let go of it now, knowing that there's going to be a guy coming free off the edge He's got to uh, mm-hmm. he's got to get rid of it asap. And but if an offensive line is not clicking, which I don't think that'll be the case this year, when it comes to just a uh, being physically dominated, I don't think that's the case. This is a very strong group. This is a group that lives in the weight room. But when it comes to a situation like that, you then got to fall on your offensive coordinator to realize the situation and get you out of it in which I believe Eddie Grant is going to be able to do that. Eddie Grant is a seasoned offensive coordinator. He knows what Stoops wants. But then also Eddie Grant is not going to, uh, is not going to die to his script uh, that he writes up for the game. He will be willing to go off script in order to get them back on track to get some sort of traction back to the offense. So I think – it could be the offensive line uh, being a little bit more physical, but I think it helps having a seasoned offensive coordinator and a very intellectual offensive coordinator uh, being able to uh, do something to get traction and breathe life back into an offense. That, that makes sense. It definitely does. i, I got to ask you about Tate Levitt. He you know, came in, junior college transfer, um, and looking to probably solidify the left tackle spot, and now they're talking that maybe he's going to redshirt. Did, did that surprise you? Uh, if you're him, what is your mindset, and what were some of the challenges that maybe uh, kind of set him back transitioning from junior college to SEC? Well, and, and here's the thing also. When people hear of a JUCO coming in, they're thinking, man, they're going to be able to instantly help out because they think of Zadarius Smith. But Zadarius Smith was also the number one defensive end coming out of uh, JUCO that year. With it's, it's not rare, especially now with teams that are starting to develop depth, that you have JUCO guys that will redshirt as well. Uh, prime example is Melvin Lewis. Not a lot of people know that. Melvin Lewis redshirted. And look how well that redshirt year turned out for him. Just explosive two years until he uh, had his leg injury. Uh, another guy is Avante Bell. Avante Bell, who now be, will be a 
huge uh, contributor, and coaches have been praising of his uh, of his fall camp so far. So just because he's not ready now, it doesn't mean that it was a bust. Okay. With a with a lot of these with a lot of these players, and I don't think it's something that UK is used to, because we've gotten so used to as a fan base seeing coach troops bring in this talent and them having to play now. And right, that's that's not the case anymore. You now have depth, so you don't have to play Tate Levitt if he's not ready. If he's going to be more of a liability than he is a contributor, then you can sit back and uh, and give him that redshirt year. It's no knock on him. It just means they see something better for him in the future, and they think they can get him better in the future. So why waste a year with a maybe a so-so or decent year and getting better throughout the year, but we can have a really good uh, start to the year in 2017 and then finish out the, uh, finish out the 27, uh, 2017 season strong. That makes sense as well. Um, I got to ask you now, you know, you don't have a preference as far as the body types for different knee tackles and nose tackles that you have to face. But what maybe brings you more joy, uh, you know, getting to the second level and blowing up a linebacker or, or getting that, to be able to pull out on that edge and get a, a panicked defensive back in your sight? Uh, I will tell you this. My uh, my favorite play was always screen because usually there was a corner that was scared to death because even though he is, uh, he is a whole lot quicker than me, even though he's a whole lot quicker than me, that's all that you had three offensive linemen pulling out for a screen that's 900 pounds of true just <laughs> – uh, running buffaloes, just a lot of meat running at you. And for some reason, and I don't know why, in my entire career, I've never seen a corner pick a, pick a side. For some reason, they get a deer in the headlights look. It doesn't matter how much speed they have, they would freeze. They wouldn't know what to do. And it was the two best things to do was either just blow them up just run full speed, just try to blow them up five yards back, or you just go right after those legs and see them do that uh, unreal somersault because they, they ain't going to let you get near their, uh, near their legs. Because a lot of those corners, they're, they're real concerned, you know, with their socks and having some of the, the, the calf bands on them. You know, they don't want those messed up, so they'll just jump right over you and do a flip. And uh, I remember we were playing Bama back in 2013. And we were doing a sweep play. I was pulling out, and Ha Ha Clinton Dix was waiting right there. <laughs> and he saw me out of the cor- uh, corner of his eye, and for some reason just stopped. And I remember <laughs> it, the whole game just slowed down, and I just looked at, just stared at him. I was like, I was thinking to myself, I said, God, can it really be this easy? And I just went to cut him, and he just took the cut. And I kind of just stared. I, I was trying to get hyped, but I was like, he, he kind of just panicked. And so I don't know what it is about corners when they just see that much meat running after them. That <laughs> it, I guess 
I guess when, you know, everyone watches the horror movies and how everyone goes, oh, how would you fall down there? Or why are you panicking? Run. Run. It's kind of right. like, uh, if you if you watch a zombie movie, it's like, why don't you run? I guess they it's the same thing with a corner or a uh, secondary guy with an offensive lineman. I don't know. Wow. That is hilarious. And, and I, you know, I know you can never forget it. I mean, just just plowing them over like that, especially as quick as they are if they just freeze. Just a stationary yeah. target for you to tee off on. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> but tell us about BBN Chalk Talk. Tell us about how it came to be and how the co-hosts and the group were assembled, yourself, Matt Smith, Coach Lau. Just, just give us an overview. Uh, talk a little bit about the first episode and then what you guys got planned for future episodes. Well, Matt Smith and I, I, I backed up Matt Smith for three years. And living in his shadow for three years, I learned as a center how you play the game and how you prepare. And there is there is probably not a smarter center than Matt Smith and whose football IQ is through the roof. Matt Smith brings um, just a history of the game but he brings scouting to a whole new level. And he's able to pick up on things that not even some analysts will even pick up. Matt is a – and he's really good at breaking down layman's terms as well. Um, Greg Lyle was my high school coach, and I got to hear stories about him during his uh, playing days in Texas and then played semi-pro ball for years. He was one of those, uh, he's one of those offensive linemen that was just a mean SOB. And finally, the only reason he gave it up was because finally injuries kind of started to catch up with him. But, I mean, he played for years and then wound up coaching high school, became an offensive coordinator. And when it comes to scouting opponents and seeing not only strengths that we had, but also weaknesses in a team and being able to exploit the mess out of it. And Greg Lyle is able to bring uh, bring that to the table. And then, of course, all three of us are offensive linemen. And let's be honest, we're the smartest ones out there. So, And then I played, uh, I played a little bit of center in my career. Matt Smith is a center. And even Greg Lyle played some center. And so that's the smartest position on the field. So, I mean, why not? It, it seemed very uh, logical to make a podcast even though we didn't know if anyone would listen to it. But luckily, it started to gain in popularity. And I can't thank you all um, and also Big Blue Views and everyone who's been uh, advertising it, promoting it. It's been um, – it's truly been unreal. It truly has. Well, I, I definitely appreciate you coming on and talking about it. I listened to the first episode. I'm definitely going to retweet them and listen to the future episodes. Uh, wanted to have you on several months, maybe even a year ago, but circumstances weren't able to work that out. But now it is, and I appreciate you still being willing to, to hop on our little show, football with us, right before the season starts this evening. Hey, guys, thank you all so much. I really appreciate it. And, hey, if you're tailgating, let us know. BB and Chalk Talk's going to be out uh, out checking at tailgaters, and we're going to get uh, a tailgater of the week on uh on this uh, Monday's podcast.
Hey, that that sounds great, and uh, that's definitely another fun perk of football season. All the good food that we get to sample, and you are still sticking with your sixty-one twenty-eight prediction for this Saturday, too, right? I I don't see I don't see. Well, for, here, here, here. If if I tell you to make a bold prediction, and you just say "shut out," just one word, "shut out," and then you play a conservative three scores. I mean, what's that three scores? Is it a field? Is it a touchdown and two field goals? Is it three touchdowns? I mean, I, they were very vague. I was the only one who was bold enough to put down an absolute score of eighty-nine points. Of sixty-one twenty-eight, and of course I'm going to stick with it because you know why? Because on Monday, and I really hope Eddie Grant and the offense does not fail me, I'll be able to uh, come in to uh, the podcast on Monday and say, "I told you all. I told you all. You all gave me crap all week." But I don't know. But I think that's a great thing as well, and, and I've loved the fan interaction with it also. So it'll be fun down the road as we make our bold predictions to see uh, uh, how the fans react to them as well. And maybe Matt and Greg will be a little more bold in the future episodes. And you also got to get that, oh, my God, that Buster Rhymes playing every time you talk because you're, I mean, you're, <laughs> oh, my God, be on Twitter. We, that was my idea. I didn't have anything for an intro. But I was like, man, this has got to play that in the background every time you talk. It just it just goes right along. Max Gobby, oh, my God, it, it's perfect. That really is. I, when I saw that, I was like, man, if we didn't get sued using that in the podcast, I'd do it in a heartbeat. <laughs> That's right. That's right, because that was, that was young Buster Rhymes when he had more energy than he knew what to do with. And he was just oozing right. energy. <laughs> Very good, guys. Very good. Max, man, can't wait to kick off the season this weekend. Uh, much success to the podcast, and thanks so much for hopping on with us tonight. Guys, thank you all so much. Go Cats, and uh, I'll see you all Saturday. Thank you, right. <clears throat> That was Max Gobby, former UK O-lineman. Terry, we might Overuse the phrase dropping knowledge, but unloaded a truckload of knowledge on us. The intricacies of the O line position, what the center has to do, how it's all going at breakneck speed, how you got to see what the defense is doing. They're playing with you, they're faking blitzes, they're not getting down in the stance. You don't know who's coming from where, and you got to handle every bit of that in an instant as a unit every play. Yeah, the offensive line completely, uh, I think, underrated, even for those folks that that follow uh, football. So glad to have Max and his insights on. Uh, I hate to do it, but I've got to step away. I am just at the end of my rope here. I'm going to take some NyQuil and probably not wake up until Thursday. So uh, glad to have uh, Appreciate you pushing through. You were a true gamer in the sense of the word. Hung in there, sick as a dog, uh, and and asked some great questions. And we reminisced about the '96 champs. Had to get him there just to do and their props and enjoyed every bit 
our segments with Max, guy before UK officer lineman, man. So, look, at least I didn't cut the show short like I did last week. We actually got to get on and do a show. But, man, rest good. Hope that NyQuil works and knocks out the allergies and the cold and all that because it's summertime. We can't be getting cold in the summer. That's that's That stuff comes in the wintertime. So sleep good. Take man, the NyQuil, NyQuil and all that. And we'll holler at you next week on the show, man. All right. Yeah, everybody take it easy. You take it easy, Vinny. All right. Thanks, TV. We'll take a quick break. Enjoy that segment with Max Gobby. Enjoy TV hanging in with the cold hanging on. But now he can rest up, ready for all the football coming this weekend. Take a quick break on the show right now. You listen to Cats Talk Wednesday. Vinny Hardy. My man, Terry Cheesy Brown, who's about to get some NyQuil. Be right back in just a few minutes. Stay right with us.
Welcome back to Cat Talk Wednesday. Benny Hardy here. My man Terry T.B. Brown's a little bit under the weather, so he hung in for about an hour and 20 minutes. Now he's hitting that night wheel, trying to knock those allergies out, that cold out that's, that's dragging him down. Just had former U.K. lineman Max Godby on. Uh, enjoyed talking with him. Drop knowledge about all the different things old lines have to do, the chemistry they have to have against front sevens that they face each and every play. And now we're going to have another UK lineman join us. Uh, pick in the 1977 draft that's a leaving UK. Went on to play for the Atlanta Falcons and the LA Rams. Joined us on the show a couple months ago, and now he's back with us again. We got Mr. Warren Bryant on with us. Mr. Brian, how you doing this evening, sir? Oh, I'm doing great, Vinny. How you doing, buddy? I can't complain. I can't complain. I was talking with you last week and had some technical difficulties. I had a couple mistakes and wasn't able to let the show go as long as it should have. You were a little bit under the weather last week, so are you feeling better today? Oh, excellent. I, I got no problem. I had a little a, a, a touch of the flu there, so I just, you know, went to the doctor, got that shot, laid up for a couple of days, and now I'm feeling better. Oh, that's good. Good. Glad to hear that you're feeling better. Last time you were on with us was a couple of months ago, back in June, first part of the summer. Um, you were listening to that Michael Jackson Heartbreak Hotel. You've been listening to some music today before you came on, been jamming before you jumped on the show with us. Oh yeah, well you know I'm always listening to my music that gets me going. But to, but today here I'm I'm really at work and I'm hanging out with the kids. They they're in a group meeting right now and uh, you know oh. so I was just kind of hanging with them. But they 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 fine. They, I've been with them most of the evening, so and we're getting ready to get them up out of here and get them home. Try to All teach right. them a little stuff about to do the right thing, you know, and stay off those streets. Yeah, yeah. So you mentoring them and, and helping them try to make the right decisions and, and avoid the wrong path. Absolutely, absolutely. You don't want them to continue to make those mistakes. So it's kind of like that diversion type program. Absolutely. You grew up in Miami, from South Florida, right? Absolutely. Liberty City. Was it, was it tough for you to stay away from the streets or the kind of sports keep you from uh, dealing with a lot of stuff that was going on in the street back then? Well, back in the day, I was a little bit rowdy. Believe it or not, I had the age of like 11 and 12, you know, hanging with some older guys and stuff like that. I got in a little tr- uh, trouble. And Big Warren at that time kind of straightened me out a little bit. And after that, I looked at him, and then I looked at the guys I was hanging with. I said, well, I don't think I could beat Big Warren, so I think I'll stay out of trouble. <laughs> and that's when I started playing <laughs> So I started playing football and focusing on that, you know. And I went out for even a tougher coach, man. And, you know, we back in those days, they had some really good athletes and some football programs because a lot of athletes came out and, uh, during that time went to college and, and went on to pro. So it, it, it wasn't uh, long after, you know, dealing with Mr. Warren that uh, I straightened up. Yeah, well, that's, 
that was a smart decision to straighten up and, and not make it harder for yourself. Hello. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, last time you were on with us, Mr. Brian, you were about to get uh, inducted into the Kentucky Pro Football Hall of Fame. You was about to head up to Lexington for the ceremony. Uh, how did that go? How was that weekend for you? Uh, it was really fabulous. I had a wonderful time. I uh, really want to thank Frank Minifield and, uh, uh, and and his staff, man. They really put it together well. I uh, brought my wife and my daughter up, and uh, a lot of my friends came up. Uh, Mom and Tom, Ella and Kelly came up. That's You know, they were kind of like my family. You know, when I was up here, I was 17 years old when I met them, and uh, we've been together ever since, so that, you know. And uh, matter of fact, we're coming up there in October, you know, to, to, to celebrate like our 40th anniversary, you know, of uh, the Peach Bowl. And everybody's going to be up there then. So, you know, we'll be back up there soon. And uh, if if you got a minute, you can come on out to it and, and party with us a little bit. Did y'all have the, the dates yet? You know what day is? Uh, it, yeah, basically we'll get in there like on the 20th. Through the twenty, and we're even twenty third. I know. I'm, I see, I think on uh, the twentieth we've got like a a wine and uh, you know kind of a wine dinner at one of the, the the vineyards. I don't know the name, but I get you that information if you want to come out. Either one of the days, and just let me know when you're available, and you come on out, meet everybody, and just you know kind of hang out and meet those guys because everybody should be there. Fran Kirsch should be back, you know, and uh, Ram and them all. Them going to be there. So Sonny will be there. It's just about everybody. Yeah, yeah. So y'all will make a weekend of it. Go to the game Saturday oh, yeah. and go to the game yeah. Saturday. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, we we old timers know how to jam. Say, yeah, that's right. See, yeah, some of the some of the little music today, you know, they need to take a lesson from from some of y'all's music. Some of today wow. doesn't like, sound like anything. Absolutely. Absolutely not. And the thing about their music is really our music, which they done messed up, and I guess they started rapping to it. But it's the same music, you know. They so every once in a while they may make something new, but it's the same music that we played back in the '60s and the '70s and, and a little bit of the '80s that they just uh, are rapping over. And right. They, yeah. They, they, they sample the beat. They sample those same beats. Yeah. And then the thing about it is they. Uh, they when they hear that, that uh, the, the old music, they say, "Oh man, they they stole this man music." I say, "What you talking about? That's the original sound." So, yeah, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> they don't I'm, know nothing about it. I'm I'm learning that. See, I was I was born in '77, so my my dad is '63, my mom is '61, and uh, you know, I was I was 14, 15. I hear a song. And, and come in saying that you heard this, and man, they just sampled an old day song, and I was like, uh-huh. really? And and my uh-huh. mom and dad like, they would say, look, man, ain't nothing new, ain't nothing new. And so I learned that a long time ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's, uh, hold on, that, hold on a second. Okay, hold on. Uh, okay, now what you say, bud? I'm sorry, you know, I'm here with these kids, so oh. I. Uh, oh, okay, yeah, I'm sorry, I was. I was talking about how back when I was a teenager, I'm I'm 38 now. Um, my parents are a little bit older than you, 
But I would uh-huh. I would come home talking I would come home talking about a song I had heard or a song that I liked, and mom and dad would just say, "Look, they they got that beat off of an OJ song. They got that oh, off yeah, of Marvin Gaye song." You know, so so I, my parents told me they they taught me that there wasn't really anything new. A lot of the stuff I thought was new, they had already heard, and and you know that's where the people had sampled the beat from from something from like you said the sixties and seventies. They said they got that from Earthquake Fire. They got that. Oh, yeah, and the thing about it is they wonder why they, they're getting sued and, and all the money's coming back to their estate. Because uh, I think one one song just recently, uh, uh, Fennell, Fennell, whatever his name is, he sampled a Marvin Gaye song. And, uh, you know, yeah. they just took the yep. record on it. Yeah, it's the same music, same beat stuff. Right. It sure is. It sure is. Um, but I was definitely glad that, Ceremony went good for you, um, and and actually we had Frank Minifield on a few weeks after you. Oh, okay. He went into the, went into the second class of the Hall of Fame. He right, says right. That he says that he wishes he could have went in kind of with you. He said the ceremony is a lot better up. now. That's right. That's what I'm saying. You don't want to go when it first started because they just organizing and getting it together. But it was it was fabulous. We really had a fun time and and everybody just enjoyed the show. My family, so we, we can't complain about anything. And it's always a good little trip, you know, to, to, yeah, to, to know that yeah. people still remember you from the from the old days. Right, right. Did you get to see the new uh, training facility and practice facility no. they got up there now? No, no I, I was going. I had planned when I go and when I go up there in October, I plan on going by there, you know, to check out because I want to talk to uh, Big John the center, you know, the coach invited me over there to talk with him, so I'm gonna try to get a date that I can go over there and talk with him. Yeah, and see that yeah, I know. Because yeah. I haven't been yet either, but the pictures I've seen, it it is something else, you know. They they really they really did it up right. Well, yeah, we, we we started it off. Now, I can say that one thing. When we first got there, they had just – we played. We were the first one to play in Commonwealth. And then uh, Saudi Sports Center, they had that up. So, you know, I, I know ever since they've been improving it, which is uh, – that's what they need to do to keep up with the SEC, you know. That's, yeah, uh, absolutely. Because these teams, these do. schools ain't playing around. These teams oh, aren't no, playing around when it comes to facilities. Yeah. Absolutely. Spending a lot of money on those things. Now, one thing, one thing I forgot to ask you, and I'm not only too long because you got the kids. Oh, being from Miami, Uh one thing I forgot to ask you last time, being from Miami, did you grow up a Dolphins fan? You know, before you, you know, in high school and as a kid. Well, not at first because I thought it was funny they named the football team after a fish. You know, I said, you know, a dolphin. You know, and you know when you, you look at a dolphin, you know, it's kind of soft. You know, ain't no, for, you know, if you actually see, see the sharks and something like that, the barracudas and something like that. But it was you know a dolphin. So, but then after they started winning and Don Shula came down, it worked out. When they went seventeen and zero, what was it like down there that season? I mean, crazy. They, they couldn't tell y'all nothing. They couldn't tell y'all nothing. Oh man, it, it was crazy. I mean, you know, then they filled up, uh, and then I know I remember how we was doing. Uh, one of our guys had broke his neck in football, and we was collecting, you know, some some money at the stadium. So we got in free, got to watch the game. 
So it all worked out for us. We had a blast. But it, it, it was the city was crazy. I was like 15, something like that, when that happened. Let me punch out of you right Yeah. Yeah, so it, it was good. It was good. Now, when you when you went to the Falcons, did you ever get to play against the Dolphins? Uh, I played once, really, no, twice. Uh, David White was the quarterback at that time. And then when I went to, you said the Rams, I was with the Raiders. So when I went to the Raiders, we played them in Miami and we beat them in Miami back in 84. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, it, what was it like getting to play one NFL game in your hometown? What was that like? It was great. You know, your family was out there. You had a got uh, got the feel, and uh, so it was good. But I, I would have liked to play a lot more. You know, and by us being a different conference than uh, uh, national in, in the national league, then we weren't able to play because it was uh, the Rams, Forty Niners, and the Saints before it switched out. Right. Right. Yeah, so. but I, I meant to ask you that last time just to – because with you being in the NFC, I didn't know if it got to happen, but at least you got one game in front of hometown. Like, it would have been cool if you got to face the Forbes. And, but you got to come home and beat them. So, hey, you, you went 1-0 against them. Oh, yeah, yeah. But think about it. Yeah. So, the family did get to come home up here, so I can't complain about that. You know, they've been up here a few times in Atlanta. Watch a lot of games, so yeah, yeah. Well, that that is really good. That's really good. Are you uh, excited about the Cats this coming season? And how you think they're gonna do this Saturday against Southern Miss? Who they play? Southern Miss. Oh, they, they hopefully they'll beat them. I'm, I'm confident. I hope Brooks man turn them. I mean Stoops turn them around. You know, it should be a good year for them because they look like they improved yeah. since last year. And uh, yeah. got some more talent up there. I don't, I don't know about the talent. What kind of talent have you, you know, about any of the recruits that's been up there? They got a, a lot of good running backs, and the offensive line is has been together for a while. So they got some veterans on the offensive line. Defensive line and linebackers are where they don't have a lot of experience. So that's kind of the – you know, wonder how the defense will hold up. The, the corners and the safeties are real good. So the next couple of years recruiting, he got he's gonna try to build up his defensive line uh, and get that rotation a little bit stronger. But, well, you uh, know, he's building up the talent. Well, you know, you can have a lot of good corners and safety, but if they can't, if they can get past that line, they're gone. So they definitely yeah. need to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they gonna have to find a. They have to find a way to rush the quarterback, get some pressure on the quarterback. Right, right. So I mean, they got no defensive linemen. They they do. They just don't have a whole lot. A couple guys got hurt, and uh, one guy uh, left the team. So that kind of that made them a little bit thin. They don't have as many as they they normally would have. So they're right. a little short-handed at the defensive line. Oh, okay. So, I mean, but, but they, uh, oh, so they, they just need some depth. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Well, the boys, them boys yeah. going to have to learn how to play a long time, you know, because there ain't no switching. Well, I, you know, back then we didn't switch out a whole lot. You know, you played the whole game. Yeah. Yeah, you sure did. But y'all was, y'all was the true warriors. 
Man, I tell you, I feel it today. <laughs> Is it some days worse than others? Oh, absolutely. Some days you can't even get out of bed, but you got to roll. Yeah. <laughs> you got to get up out of that bed. That's it. Well, I know those kids. I know those kids look up to you and appreciate everything you're doing for them. And um, definitely the UK fans appreciate everything you did while you were there as well. And it was always great to be able to talk with you. And uh, congratulations on going into the Hall of Fame, too. It was an honor to have you on then and an honor to have you on our show now. Hey, thank you so much, Vinny, and I love Kentucky. So, I mean, that was the easy thing to do. And I guess I'll talk with you the next time. Hopefully you'll be up there. Uh, well, you'll be there. I'll see you when I get up there in October. I'm definitely going. I'm going to check it. I, I got a a class reunion. I got to check and see what date it is. But if it's, if I get the dates right, I definitely want to get up there and meet you. I sure do. Okay, buddy. I know you want to go back to that school to check out all the cheerleaders. I know what you're trying to do. <laughs> no, that's, that's, I'm I'm happily married now. That's that's over. Those days is over. I know that's right. I know that's I've right. Been, I've been married 15 years, with Brian. So I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Well, that's, I didn't know that, so I, I ain't telling on you. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it. It'd be our secret. Yeah, there you go. Hey, have a good evening and. Thank you so much, Mr. Bryant. Okay. You take care of yourself, Vinny. All right. I will do it, All sir. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Wow. Warren Bryant, former U.K. offensive lineman, now uh, part of the 2016 class, Pro Football Hall of Fame. They had the ceremony uh, in June in Lexington. Oh, Ricky Cannon, as well as others, were inducted as well. Um, so congratulations for that. And still, Kentucky's the only state that honors the NFL players, regardless of the school you went to. Kentucky guys, Louisville guys, Western, Eastern, you know, Moorhead, they all get acknowledged and recognized. Now, Dennis Johnson, former UK defensive lineman, was on the show a few weeks ago. He's in the Hall of Fame. Frank Minifield went to Louisville. He was in the second class of the Hall of Fame. So it's really a good thing that they're doing there. Uh, and congratulations again to the 2016 class. Under Monty Dawson, of course, naturally he's going to be in there. Uh, he's a member of the NFL, the Pro Football Hall of Fame again. He's been inducted to the Kentucky Pro Football Hall of Fame election as well. And the ceremony, the induction ceremony for next year, uh, the date has already been set. It's going to be June the 23rd of uh, 2017, and the inductees for 2017 have yet to be released. So stay tuned. You'll follow NFL Kentucky Hall of Fame, NFL KYHOF on Twitter, uh, and then you'll be able to know who the next group of inductees are going to be for 2017. We'll take one more quick break. Got one last segment to go on the show, Cat Talk Wednesday. Had a great show, Offensive Lineman, Deluxe Edition, Max Gobby, Warren Bryant. Pleasure to have them both on. Enjoy both of them. We'll be right back listening to the final segment of Cat Talk Wednesday. 
on the Brandon Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Back in 12 minutes. Someone to break my heart I need real love I was gone from the very start I'm so serious Baby got me so delirious We can have a rough experience Cause everything you feel I'm feeling it change You up we touch And you gonna keep me up until We laugh we talk But we never confirm if this is real Great pride in what they do. 
get satisfaction out of making the right calls, making good blocks, pancaking, uh, hapless DBs out on the edge. Uh, they take pride in all those things, even though they don't see anything as far as that story or anything like that. Uh, they are a vital part to the offensive process and to the football team in general. Thanks to Max Horn for hopping on with us. Um, we'll shift and talk a little bit of NFL now. Uh, Cowboys fan. And, you know, you had to brace for what happened with Tony Romo. Coming back from that collarbone, you knew just one hit away, literally one hit away from potentially being in the situation that you were in in 2015, which, you know, injuries ravaged the team. Uh, Des Bryant and Tony Romo both out uh, for huge chunks of the season, uh, a team that if anywhere near their full strip, they're coming off a 12-4 season in 2014, would have probably won the NFC East for a second straight year when you consider that the Redskins won it pretty much by default because nobody else was capable of doing anything. Uh, the Giants struggled. Uh, the Eagles struggled. Uh, so the Redskins were like, well, we might as well win a division. You know, we're not the best team in the division, but they won a division. They had the best record after 16 games. They got to go to the playoffs and lose. After, you know, and go one and done like everybody knew they would. So, you know, Cowboys still look to be the best team. But the injury bug is just, you know, a pest, and it won't leave them alone. Romo scrambles against Seattle, is attempting to slide when he gets hit from behind by Cliff Averill, and, you know, he's riding in pain on the field. Said he could have gone back in, trying to go back in, you know, didn't need to do that at all. MRI shows that he'll be out six to ten weeks, broken bone in his back, might start the year on injury reserve, uh, and then kind of see what happens down the line. Dak Prescott out of Mississippi State is the backup. Dallas have been doing everything they could to try to get more depth at the quarterback position. Uh, they tried to get Paxton Lynch, kid out of Memphis, tried to move up and draft him. Uh, Kellen Moore was already on the team. He went out with a broken ankle. Um, they tried to sign Nick Foles. He ended up signing with the Kansas City Chiefs. So they, they've been trying to you know, make moves and bolster the position. And, you know, Dak Prescott has just gone out and made the most of every opportunity that he's been given. Every time he stepped on the field, now it's preseason, and we all know it's going to be a whole lot different come the regular season. He's going to get every look. We talked to offensive linemen today, Matt Gobby, Warren Bryant. Every single look possible. The kitchen sink is going to be thrown at Dak Prescott. Every different kind of blitz, every different kind of look, every different kind of formation, every different kind of front, they're going to 
do their best to try to find chinks in his armor. He has played very well in all three of his uh, preseason games against the Rams and Dolphins, and most recently, uh, Seattle. Uh, he's 39 for 50, 51% completion rate, five passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns, uh, 454 yards passing, no interceptions. Now, the first two games, he kind of knew when he was going to come in. You know, they, they had it all scheduled out. And Romo, you know, played a few series. Dak knew when he was coming in. Against Seattle, he was truly a backup where on a moment's notice, you got to be ready. Because Romo wasn't out there no time and, you know, got hurt. So, boom, Dak, you're in a little bit earlier than you expected to be. And he still played well. Jason Witten helped him out on one of those touchdown catches. It was just a heck of a catch. He reached around the defender and hauled in a very high degree of difficulty type catch. Uh, so that, that helped him out on one of them. Uh, he still hasn't thrown a pick. He's showing a lot of poise, too. You know, he doesn't look scared to death, hasn't had that deer in the headlights look. Uh, he can scramble as we. SEC fans know, as we Kentucky fans know, uh, he's pulled the ball down and scrambled. He's been uh, very good in his decision-making. Can he keep that up when the bullets really come flying in the regular season, when you have to make decisions even quicker than you have in the preseason? Um, you can kind of compare him now to like a, a kid in the NBA in the summer league that's tearing up the summer league. Still not the same as those games in the NBA, but it's a step closer to the NBA. You saw what you did in college, now you're in the summer league and you're playing well. These guys are in the NBA. You're not playing the elite of the elite. Uh, so you're not automatically guaranteed to just go tear up the NBA. Dak isn't guaranteed to just tear up the NFL. But you saw Dak and Mississippi State play well. The next step to the NFL is the NFL preseason games. He's played well in all those preseason games. So maybe he can make that next step as smoothly as possible uh, by having a solid season in Dallas Cowboys. He's going to get his chance. You know, he's been named a starter until Romo comes back. Even if Dallas makes a move and brings somebody else in, which they need to do just to have bodies at the quarterback position, Dak is going to be starting. So he'll continue to have opportunities to make the most uh, of the, the chances that he has. He's on a good team. There is talent there. He even said that. You know, he said the pressure's not on me. He's got a pro bowler, Hall of Famer, and tight end Jason Witten. He's going to be a security blanket. you got Dez Bryant outside. He's working himself back into being the elite receiver that we know he can be as long as he's healthy. So make good decisions, get the ball to those weapons, and we'll still have enough potentially be a good team as far as the Dallas Cowboys are concerned. And they'll still, I believe, have plenty enough in the tank to beat Terry Brown, San Francisco 49ers, come week four, even though that Prescott will be the starter. And, of course, you know I'm going to say this when Terry's on the show. Uh, he was under the weather tonight, so when he's back, he's got a few weeks until the Cowboys and the 49ers play. They'll be talking trash. The Cowboys can still beat the 49ers even with Dak Prescott at the helm. 
and you know I would say that to Terry. It's like I'm saying it right now. If he was here, he'd already have a little sparring match, a little verbal jab session going right now. So he's not here to defend himself, not here to defend his miners right now. He'll be back next week to defend his miners, and I'll be back next week saying the Cowboys can beat San Francisco. You know Romo has been a victim of the injury bug once again. Uh, so we got that to look forward to. But we got college football to look forward to this coming weekend. 7.30, ESPNU, Commonwealth Stadium, Southern Miss, Golden Eagles, and Shannon Dawson and their quarterback, Nick Mullins, all come to town, play the Kentucky Wildcats. Year four, Mark Stoops, Cats want to go bowling. Cats want to start the season off right. They want to get off to another fast start, like we've seen the past two seasons where we end up five and seven. Get off to another good start and then sustain it. Don't have those second-half fades, the second-half collapses. The chemistry is better. Eddie Grant and Darren Henshaw have cleaned up a lot of these messes that we saw offensively last year. More continuity there. Then Shannon Dawson didn't actually you know, handle correctly and properly. It's supposed to be being cleaned up. Uh, Eddie Grant has been there and done that uh, more seasons as a coordinator than Shannon Dawson. You can't lose to the guy you just fired. That's a bad look. When you keep this guy to the curb, you can't have him come back in and then pump you with an inferior team. Yeah, so, you know, I want to see the Cats take care of business. Then defensively, uh, offensively, uh, see some balance, see a lot of good runs, see CJ Comrade get off, see the receivers catching, Drew Barker making good decisions. Uh, Terry and I both have it going 7-5, and five, and we think it all starts with win number one coming Saturday to Southern Miss Golden Eagles. So can't wait to kind of quench our appetite tomorrow with some SEC football, Benefit South Carolina, Tennessee, Appalachian State, and then it's on and popping Saturday, and we can't wait. Couldn't be happier. Had a happy time doing this show. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you um, didn't catch it live, catch the podcast, blogtalkradio.com slash catstalk. Get that anytime. Every show we've ever done is there. We're also on iTunes as well. Thanks so much to Terry Brown for being a gamer. No Niners fan. Thanks so much to Max Gotti and Mr. Warren Bryant for stepping in and joining us on our show tonight. For my man Terry T. Brown, injured a little bit on the disabled list and resting. For Terry Brown, for Max Gotti, for Warren Bryant, this is Benny Hardy. This has been another episode of Cat Talk Wednesday. Hope you enjoyed the show. Brown and Hardy Radio Network, BlockTalkRadio.com. We'll see y'all this time next week. And we'll be talking about the first game of the season and looking ahead to the Florida Gators. Take care. We'll see y'all next week. Good night.